Thank you. It is a blessing to see what the Lord's doing there in Uganda and in East Africa. And we're excited to be here with you today and to be able to share with you more about that. And we thank you for helping us out and reaching the people of Uganda and these other countries as well. And um, it's just exciting to see how things are going right now, uh, even during this time. Um, you know, just like uh, here, uh, they have the coronavirus there in Uganda as well. And so they shut down everything in March. Um, they sent everybody back from the schools. We have a lot of boarding schools there. And so they shut down the boarding schools. And once they did that, uh, they shut down all the public and private transportation. You couldn't drive a car or do anything. I uh, had to walk or ride a bicycle wherever you would want to go. And so for two months, um, it was that way. And then they started opening things back up again little by little. Uh, but then in March, they shut down churches. And they did not allow churches open again until the uh, first week of October. Um, and there in Uganda, they didn't give you warnings. They didn't give you fines. They, they said, well, if you go, we'll arrest you. And so, you know, but the president said, he said, you know, God is everywhere, so you can have Bible study at home. And so I called our guys up at church, because we have guys who sleep at the church all the time. Over there 24-7, I said, okay, you can have Bible study at home. Amen? <laughs> and so uh, they had home Bible study at church the whole time. They didn't meet in the church building, but they met in another room. And so and they kept it down to the numbers that they'd recommended and things, but we were able to continue to have uh, home Bible studies at church the whole time there. And then... Um, uh, we couldn't get out and go places, and in our area of town where we were at, uh, there's some young men wandering around, so you couldn't get out too much, because uh, um, they didn't have any money, they were looking for things. And so, um, but our neighbor had a truck, and they were allowed to make deliveries and things so, uh, for food, and so he took me about three times to get some food, and as we went out, I saw that there's a lot of people out sitting around talking together, and so I called our guys again, we're doing social media things, like a lot of people here were doing, and so... I called our guys back and I said, hey, if they can get out and talk about football and talk about other government, other stuff, whatever they're talking about, we can get out and go soul winning again. And so I started doing soul winning and um, the schools were shut down, church, everything shut down. I mean, literally all there is left is soul winning and that was a blessing. Uh, we've seen more people saved during this time than we've seen saved before. We've had more people baptized during this time than we've seen baptized before. And it's been amazing to see the doors of opportunity that God has opened uh, during this time, this pandemic, when churches shut down. And so uh, they went out sowing every day. I mean, that's all there is left to do. And so uh, we're seeing people saved literally every day. They're having people baptized almost every day because I told them, you don't have, a, have to have a church service to baptize people. I mean, the Bible, I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch got baptized right there. And so uh, they're, they're baptizing people all the time and things. And then um, they're doing discipleship. And so every day they're having discipleship lessons here at the church. And have um, within the groups about 10 people or so. And they'd have like two groups meeting on time many times, but like three different sets throughout the day. So they're having 20, 40, 60 people a day going to church, but in the groups allowed by government for discipleship. And now it's like seven days a week. And so people are growing more right now. Now they open up church in October, and I was not enough room in church. <laughs> so that's, that's a good problem to have, though, amen. And so we're praying about that with the Lord to help us with that, but things are going well there. And, and that's without Sunday school classes for children. They're saying children can't have Sunday school classes. So uh, parents can bring their kids with them to sit in church. But, you know, normally we have kids from the community and things come in and they can't come right now. And so uh, that's, you know, something we're praying for that will open up soon as well. Uh, but, you know, the Lord is blessing the ministries there even during this time. Uh, things are going well. Uh, we normally have a um, youth camp uh, during the month of January. But, you know, they're not allowed to have uh, meetings of 200 people or more. And plus, uh, because of the pandemic and social distancing, 
Uh, transportation or, you know, riding on the bus and things, prices have uh, more than doubled in some cases, and so it's very expensive right now. And so instead of a youth camp, we're having uh, three different youth conferences throughout the country there, and they've already done two of those, and they're getting ready to have the last one up in Arua. Uh, you saw the property there uh, that we have, and that's where the youth camp is, and so they're getting ready to do that last one this week, and we're excited about that, see what they'll to do. Uh, they're sending me a text message. I'll be leaving tomorrow uh, to go up there, some of the workers, for that youth conference. And so uh, be praying for that because that's how we're uh, trying to especially reach these young people here. Um, a majority of the people in Uganda are under the age of 15. And so um, we have a lot of young people coming up, a lot of teenagers, a lot of youth. And so we're really focusing a lot on them as well. Uh, but especially if we want to start churches, we need to have pastors. And so we're reaching into this group and encouraging them. And already in the two youth conferences, they've had several people saved. Uh, there's some have committed to come to Bible college to serve the Lord and do some other things. And so we're looking forward to getting those reports this week um, about the youth camp, what the Lord's going to do up there in Arua. And uh, that, that place up there is a blessing as well. Uh, and that was an unexpected blessing. We've been looking for some property to help with our Bible college. We have about uh, 50 students in Bible college right now. Well, before pandemic, and so, uh, Lord willing, afterwards, we might even have more, it looks like, but um, uh, during that time, uh, we have what we call work and study program. They don't have first, second, and third shift there like we have here, so, I mean, if you're not going to work in the morning, you most likely won't have a job, and so, what we do is they help clean the church, they help clean the compound, they help with the school, they help with different things, so the money we normally use to hire the people, we used to help with them. We have night parking. People park their vehicles there at night if they don't have a place to park at home. And so there's different things that we do, but we're limited with how much we can do in that area. And so we're praying for more, some more land to help some more projects. And the Lord opened up that opportunity for that 80 acres up country uh, there in Arua. Arua really, though, has been a, a challenge for a lot of missionaries. There's several missionaries who have gone and who have left. And so that's actually how we got that property from some missionaries who were not able to continue there. And we're asked to pay the money for the investment of what they put into it for themselves. And so we're doing that. We're uh, partway through those payments now. And so uh, the Lord's given us a wonderful place up there, 80 acres, 14 buildings. You saw the, uh, some of the pictures on there. Uh, but really, has been a, what I refer to as a stronghold of Satan for a long time. Uh, some of you might have heard of a warlord by the name of Joseph Coney. Um, he would um, surround a village at night, and he would abduct the children, and then they kill people in that village. And so he continually fed his army through raiding these villages and getting children and raising them up in there. And he's there for more than a decade, I think it was. And so um, it, was a, it was a great challenge. And so many of the people out there have been through some great hardships. And um, there's, not, there's certainly not been uh, many independent Baptist churches up there because no missionaries were able to go up to that area for some time. And so um, right now that, that part of the country is open, though. Um, things have become very stable. Things are going well up there. Uh, financially and things, and for the country, things have improved a lot. And so uh, we already have two churches up there, but with the Bible College up there, we can reach northern Uganda with the gospel and starting churches. And also, Congo is not very far away. There's some churches in Congo, some people there, and I'm praying we can get some students from there as well. And even from South Sudan, I've been up there several times, and there's some refugee camps a few hours away from Arua. And there's a church up there that we know that we've been to, and um, our church has been helping that church up there some as well. And so we're praying we can see from there and some other places up there, some students from South Sudan coming in, and we've got to train them to go back to their own countries because they already know the language, they already know the culture. They can, I believe they can reach their people, people more effectively with, with the gospel than we can, um, even in northern Uganda. As we train them, they can do the work. And so that's what we're praying for, and that's what we're doing. 
and working there is um, we're focusing on starting churches, but also training the pastors there, the national pastors, and uh, helping them as they go out to start churches. We want to see many churches started, but by doing this, we have to work together with other people. And the Lord has blessed us. We have about five missionaries working with us in Kampala. And they, they live about an hour or more away from us. So come in once a week to teach in a Bible college. They have other churches that are doing this well. Uh, we have four national pastors that are helping us also. Um, up in Rural, we have one missionary there who will be helping us. And already two national pastors will be helping. And looking to recruit some others as well. And so the Lord is opening up some doors of opportunity. And so even now we're on furlough. Things can continue. The churches are going on. The ministers are going on. Uh, things are still going on because we're laboring together with others. Um, and that's why we're here today, because we're working together with you in reaching others with the gospel there in Uganda. God has called us to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we're going to all, to all the world, but we're doing that through missions. And as you support missionaries, you're partnering together with them to fulfill the Great Commission. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll look here in verse 9 this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. And the message this morning is laborers together with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For your laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry, you're God's building. Think about that for a moment. This first part of this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For your laborers together with God. That's, to me, that's a, an awesome statement right there, that we're working together with God. I mean, it's an honor to work together maybe with the president or maybe the uh, head of some company or some other thing, but to be laboring together with God is truly an honor Amen. and a blessing that we don't even deserve. Amen. But that's what we, we're supposed to be doing is laboring together with God, not just with God, but also with one another. We're to be working together in serving God together. And so uh, this morning, I'd like to share with you a, a short illustration. There's a letter that I had read one time, and I don't know if some of you might have heard of this letter before, but it was a letter that was written to a medical insurance company, and they went back to this man who put in the claim and asking him, can you explain more about your claim and how you got hurt on the job um, before we fill this claim? And so um, they, they said that we don't understand the reason you gave because the reason he got injured on the job, he said, I got injured on the job by trying to do the job alone. And so they said, can you please explain that some more? And so he wrote this letter to them. He said, I'm a bricklayer by trade. And he said, on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. He said, when I completed my work, I discovered I had approximately 500 pounds of bricks left over. He said, rather than carry these bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the top of the building. So, um, and by the way, ladies, you know this about us, about us men. Um, we just want to make one trip. I mean, we might hurt ourselves doing it. But if there's any way possible, if we're going to carry something, we're going to do it in one trip. You know, if it's groceries, we might have them hanging all over, but it's going to be in one trip. And so this is how this bricklayer is. I mean, I mean, if it's me, if you can't do it, I'd probably just be throwing them off the side of the building. I don't, I'm not going to carry them all down, you know. Uh, one trip. And so this is what he's doing here. And so uh, he said he went down and he tied on the rope on that pulley. He secured it down on the ground floor. He went back up. He loaded that barrel with the 500 pounds of bricks, pushed it over the side, and things going well. He said, I went back downstairs, and he said, I went um, and untied the rope and held on to it securely so I could let it down slowly. And he said, you'll notice in this one block of the form, in block two, that I put down that I weigh 135 pounds. 
And he said, so suddenly I was jerked off my feet. There's 500 pounds of bricks. He said, I was so surprised being jerked off my feet, I forgot to let go of the rope. And he said, I went up as the bricks came down, and he met him halfway. <laughs> and he said, that's how he got hurt, by trying to do the job alone. Now think about this. If there had been some other people there holding that rope, they could have let down those bricks slowly, couldn't they? If there had been enough people holding on to the rope, the job could have been accomplished. Nobody would have gotten hurt. You know, it's the same way in missions. If we as missionaries try to do the job alone, we're going to get swept off our feet. We can't do the job alone. We need you here holding the ropes so that we can do this work together. And that's what the Bible talks about, about laboring together with God. You know, a rope is made up of different parts sometimes, isn't it? It's not just one strand. You'll see different strands woven together. And as I thought about this, I thought about these different parts of this rope. And let me just say this, um, as we look at this this morning, three different things about this rope. First of all, you must hold the rope of supplication, or you could say the rope of prayer. Uh, this is something that is vital to the ministry. Uh, we need to be praying for one another. Look in the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 1 here. The book of Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Now notice how the Lord sent them two and two. You know, laboring together. You'll find this theme really throughout the word of God about working together. Verse 2 says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are what? The laborers are few. And by the way, that's still how it is today. Today the laborers are few. Look at this verse. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, then send forth the laborers into his harvest. Let me say several things, first of all, about this verse that we need to be praying for. First of all, we ought to be praying for the harvest. We ought to be praying for those who are lost. We ought to be praying that they'll be able to hear the message of salvation. You know, sometimes it's not that people don't want to hear. It's just that no one is going to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in the book of Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans chapter 10. Look over there for a moment. And as you turn to that, I'll share with you about a man there in Uganda. Um, there's a man there um, who's with the Lord today. But his name was Mose Yosef. Uh, Mose is a polite term of uh, speaking to someone who's older. And so Mose Yosef, he came to our church, and uh, he told us he's in his 80s, about 80 to 82, somewhere in there. He said he was not exactly sure how old he was. He said, when I was born in the village, they never gave me a birth certificate back then. And so he said, but I was born around when these things happened, so I'm about 80, 82, uh, somewhere in that time. And so Mose Yosef, I find out, was known for reading his Bible. Uh, he'd read his Bible all the time and for many hours even. And uh, he'd been going to church for some time and things. And he came and he visited our church. And so we're going out soul winning and we went by his house. And I found him outside sitting on the grass. And he was reading his Bible sitting outside. And I remember going over to him and we began to talk. And I asked him um, if you were saved, if anyone had ever shown him from the Bible, what the Bible says, um, what God has said we must do to go to heaven. And he said, no, no one had ever shown him that before. So I sat down on the grass with Moses and Yosef and began to talk and went through the word of God and he trusted Christ as a savior. Amen. And this man had been reading the Bible for hours and hours at a time. This man had gone to church for many years of his life. You know, he said this to me, he said, that's what I've been looking for this whole time. Can you imagine that this whole time he'd been looking for the way of salvation? 
But look here in the book of Romans chapter 10. Now in verse 13 it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then 14 goes on to say, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How will they hear unless someone will go and tell them? How will they understand unless someone will tell them? Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? That man from Ethiopia is riding on that chariot and Philip comes up to him. The man is reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone will show me. Today that's what so many people in Uganda and Rwanda and South Sudan and other countries throughout Africa are looking for or needing is someone to show them the way of salvation. But it's not just Africa, it's also right here in the United States. It's also right here in Houston where there's people who have not heard the truth of salvation. There's people here today who are in church somewhere throughout this city and they're not going to hear salvation is by grace through faith. They're going to be told you have to keep the law, you have to keep the sacraments, there's some work that you have to do. But they don't understand it's not of works this any man should boast. Who's going to tell that person? It's not the missionary who's going to Africa. We're not here that long. It's going to be you. It's going to be someone here to go and share their faith with them. And so we need to be praying for the foreign fields. We need to be praying for other countries that they'll hear the message of salvation and be saved. But we need to be praying for our own country as well. The greatest problem is not a political problem. It's a salvation problem. It's that people need to be saved. It's because of sin that a nation is where it is today. We need to be sharing the message of salvation with others with the lost and dying world. This is the greatest need that we have today. We need to be praying for the harvest. But also let me say this, we need to be praying for the harvesters also. Notice it said the labors are few. It means that there's still labors today. You ought to pray for your pastor every day. You know, many times you go to our pastor for counsel for different things, but he also carries burdens. He also has challenges. Apostle Paul talked about the burden of the churches and the different things and to pray for him. You ought to pray for your pastor and for his wife and for those in leadership here in your church. You ought to pray for other leaders throughout your country um, for, who are preaching the gospel. You ought to be praying for one another here as well. And not just for physical needs, although there's nothing wrong in praying for, for health or for finances or for different things. But be praying, saying, Lord, help this brother to be faithful in church. I've been struggling. Lord, we need more people soul winning. Touch the hearts of the people here in our church that they'll be here for soul winning. Lord, that they'll be here for Bible study. Lord, we need more money to give to missions and touch the heart of our people. Lord, we need more money to reach our community. Help each person here to tithe, to pray for some spiritual things in the lives of one another. Those are things we don't always see and so we don't take notice. It's not that we don't care, but many times we just don't think about it. But we need to be thinking about that spiritual aspect, about praying for one another as well, as we're praying for the laborers. Also, you ought to be praying for your missionaries by name as well. You ought to pray for all of your missionaries. And there's times that you may not know what they're going through. Um, some people even have told me before, well, you know, but how do we pray for a missionary? I mean, what do we pray for? Um, I remember when my wife and I, when we first became missionaries, uh, we were talking about that, and she said, you know, before we were missionaries, I used to look at missionaries and think, wow, a missionary. And, you know, and she said, now I'm a missionary, and it's like, we're just people like everybody else, <laughs> you know. And, you know, um, we, have this, we have the same problems you have. We get sick. We have financial problems. We have kids. You know, you get headaches. I mean, we have, you know, I mean, you have all sorts of things just like everyone else. You know, my kids are grinning at me now, yeah. I mean, how would you want somebody to pray for you? 
That's how you ought to pray for one another. That's how you ought to pray for your missionaries. Okay? Um, and that can help you to get started. And then also you have prayer letters. You can read a prayer letter. And many times on a prayer letter you'll see about pray for this conference or pray for the Bible college or pray for these people to be saved or pray about this need or praying for some other thing. And you can pray specifically for the needs of your missionaries then as well. But you know also there's times that you don't have time to write a prayer letter. There's times that things happen and by the time you get a prayer letter, it's done, it's, it's finished, it's gone. I know I was sharing with um, some before about there in Uganda, we had somebody trying to steal the land for our church. That battle went on for more than a year. Um, he'd actually, um, he and his wife were from Uganda, but they'd grown up here in the United States. They'd been here for about 30 years and went back to Uganda. And we didn't know it at the time. We found out later from what we were told that his family and others were giving him money to buy land and start a school and do some stuff. But instead of doing that, he put the money in his pocket, came to our church, and decided he was going to take our church land and say he bought that land. And so he tried to get us out of the country, and then he thought if the missionary is not here, then we can take the land. And I mean, he went to every government office you can think of, some I've never heard of. He went to the UN Human Rights Commissions. He went everywhere you could imagine and beyond. He made every type of accusation he could make. Uh, they bribed people, they drive magistrates, they bribed immigration. I mean, they did everything and beyond anything I could ever imagine. And that went on for more than a year. Uh, my wife would come out, there'd be a car sitting down the road where people are watching. There's one time there's people banging on the gate trying to get in. There's another time they were trying to climb over the fence. There's a power pole in the corner, and there's a wall around your compound, around your, around your yard for security. And they went in the neighbor's yard and climbed up, and they were on the pole coming down. And we have some German shepherds. <laughs> that German shepherd is barking and looking at him like, hey, here comes lunch. Praise the Lord, you know. And so this guy is telling my wife, I'm from Umeme, from the power company. You need to let me in. She says, Umeme always comes to the gate. You need to go around to the gate. And where's your badge? You have to have a name badge. You have to have that, that thing from there. And he didn't have one. He said, put away the dog. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she said, if you come down here, my dog's going to eat you. <laughs> and so he left. Another time we had to come to chase people off and different things have happened. Um, one time I was teaching the Bible college and a white van pulled up and they came up and they said, we're looking for James Pridge. And I said, that's me. They said, you need to get in the van and come with us. I said, I don't think so. Who are you? They said, we're from immigration. They had these little things around their neck, you know, like the name tag, and they had a little piece of paper. Now, it wasn't a plastic card. It's a piece of paper in there. And I'm like, that does not look very official to me, okay? I'm not going with you guys. There's no markings on the van or anything. They said, we don't put immigration on the side because people would run, which is probably true, <laughs> you know. And so anyway, uh, two policemen got out, and they said, Pastor, you need to come. They had guns, and my family's there, the church, some church people there, so I got in. And you never know if it's real or not. I mean, you never know what's happening or what's going on. I got in the back of the van, and they let me keep my phone, and so I called the police commander for that area. Um, and so he's a regional police commander. And so I called him on the phone and I asked him, I said, are there any operations for immigration in our area today? He said, no, Pastor, there's nothing going on in our area for immigration. I said, are you sure? He said, Pastor, he said, I'm sure. I said, but you're sure there's nothing going on here today? He said, Pastor, if immigration comes to our area to pick up people and things, he said, they first have to come to my office. They have to come here and let me know what's going on. He said, even if they have policemen with them, I have to give them a policeman from our post so there's no confusion because, you know, they need to have somebody from our area that the other policemen know. 
And so I have to give them a placement. They have to, nobody has come today. There's nothing going on here. And I told them, I said, that I think I've been kidnapped. That's because they said they're from immigration. They had me in a unmarked van and we're going down the road. And so he said, where are you? And I told him where I was at. And there's only really one main way of getting out on that side to go towards downtown, one, a road called Gobber Road. And that goes right by the police station. So he took his personal truck and they blocked the traffic off as those people came by. And the policeman got out with their AK-47s and pointed them with the van. And one of those policemen had been coming to our church and he's the one in charge. And he goes up and he says, as he's pointing that AK-47, he says, what are you doing with my pastor? And all of a sudden those men got very humble and they started bringing up paperwork that was official documentation. And I knew I saw my immigration number on there and I knew they're from immigration. Now, I didn't know that at the time, I was told later that somebody had given them some money to deport me that day. And there's things going on that some members of the State House even told me later, there's some things going on with these type of things that happened before already. And so the State House was aware of those things, but not about what was going on that day. And by the time they got me to immigration, my wife had been calling people, and you know what's amazing about our God? Before I even had a problem, before I even knew anything of this was going to happen, God had brought people in our life already to help us that day. Amen. God had brought different people who were in government that I thought they were just a civil servant, but they were deep in government with having leaders with the, what they call CID and uh, the ISO and all the different um, organizations there for security in the country and having been in government for 25, 30 years. I didn't even know they were that much in government. And they found out about it. They started calling people. By the time we got there, they said there's members from the president's family called in saying, what are you doing with my pastor? I, didn't, I don't know those people. There's members of parliament calling in saying, what are you doing with our pastor? People I didn't even know, but friends of mine that God had brought to us as we just ministered, as we're out sowing, as we're talking to people, were making phone calls to their friends, and their friends are calling in. By the time they got to immigration, they didn't know what to do with me. They let me go. Now, stories even more than that. It went on longer than that. But it's amazing how God blessed, and through that we got to meet different people, different people got saved, and one of the police officers, even on this video, when it talked about ministering to the police, I was standing by a man who was involved in that situation, and that man later got saved, and God has blessed him and promoted him in his work. And it's just been amazing to see what God has done, but you know, you know why all that came about, I believe? Because of prayer. You know, especially as we've been traveling on this furlough, there's been several churches where people have said, we've been praying for you every day. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. But they've been praying for us for years. That's why God, in his infinite wisdom, even before there's a problem that we even know about, he's already put everything in place to take us through the problem. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they were going to bow down to worship that idol. And they said, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. And God delivered them, didn't he? And God can do that to us too. And I imagine, I, I don't know what it would have been like to have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I tell you what, when they tied me up, I would have been praying really hard. <laughs> I was like, Lord, save me. There would have been a lot of prayer going on. And God answered their prayers, didn't he? I know through some of those situations we've been through, I tell you, you want to talk about an intense prayer life and, and truly learning to pray um, sincerely to God. There's been many times like that in our life there in Uganda. But you know, because so many people are praying for us, God has been so good. There's other stories we could tell. Maybe we'll share some more throughout this week about different things that have happened that really 
I mean, I, I shouldn't even be here today. I should maybe be dead or something else. I don't know. But God has continued to intervene, and I believe it's because of the prayers of his saints. You may not know until you get to heaven one day what all God has done in answering those prayers in your life for your missionaries and for others. And so we need to be praying for one another. And so prayer is vital to the ministry. We must hold that rope of supplication, that rope of prayer. But also let me say this, we must hold the rope of service. Look in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 16. By the way, as you're turning over to this one, let me say this about prayer as well. We need to be praying for more labors. It said the labors are few. And as you're praying for more labors, it brings us to the second point about you must hold that rope of service. You should also say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how can I serve you? Not just praying for others to serve the Lord. It's kind of like um, I told my wife, we have three types of people there in Uganda in church. You know, if there's a piece of paper on the ground, and matter of fact, there's a piece of paper right here. You have some people who see that, and they'll kind of just walk around like, you know, like they don't even see it. You know? Then you have the people who will see that piece of paper, they'll come up here. Hmm. Hey, hey, you, you come here. Can you come get this paper for me? <laughs> and then you have the ones who will actually serve and reach down and pick it up. There's some who aren't interested in serving at all. They just walk around the problem. There's some who are like, yeah, you people, you need to serve God. And they don't want, they're not going to do it. But then there's those who, whatever needs to be done, they're there to serve. They have that servant's heart. And that's kind of how we need to be also. We need to have that servant's heart. That it's not just that, oh, pastor, do you need someone to be a deacon? I can do that. Oh, you need, a, you need someone to be in front of everybody. <laughs> here, I, here am I. Sweep the floor? Oh, hey, brother. A pastor needs you today. He, he just let me know he needs you at his office today. I mean, we're willing to tell somebody else about it. But am I willing to serve whatever God has for me? And we need to have that servant's heart. In John chapter 15 and verse 16 it says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You might be saying, but wait a minute. I, I mean, God's not called me as a pastor. God's not called me as a missionary. No, but God has called you as a soul winner. Amen. God has called you to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. If you're saved today, guess what? You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You get that at the moment of salvation, and God wants you to be that witness. It says, You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. If you were to put that there for us today, we say both here at home, here in Houston, here in the state of Texas, here in the United States, and in all the world, we're to be that faithful witness. Now, how do we do that? Well, you give to missions. We give so that others can go to other countries to share the gospel with others. But then also, we go to our neighbors. We go to our friends. We go to our co-workers. We go and we talk to um, people that we meet at the grocery store, at the restaurant, or other places. You know, it's amazing to me. Some people say, well, I, I have trouble talking to people I don't know. I mean, I, I get nervous talking to people. You never talk to the person scanning your groceries? You never said hello to them? I mean, you don't know them. You go to a new restaurant, here comes a waitress. How, how do you place your order if you don't talk to strangers? <laughs> you, we talk to new people all the time. 
Hey, how you doing? How's the weather? Hey, you seen that football game? Man, the team's doing good. And you, you don't even know their name. Why is it that we can't give them a gospel track and say, I'm from Orion's Baptist Church, we'd love to have you come? Hmm? We can't do these things as many times you don't think about them. And so we need to determine to be their servant. We need to determine to say, Lord, here am I. Yes, I, I was saved. I asked Jesus Christ to come to my heart and save me. But am I serving him? You know, this is what the Lord wants us to do, to serve him. God has called us as a witness. This brings us to the next thing here in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know, first of all, you must hold the rope of supplication or that rope of prayer. You must hold the rope of service. And this last point here, you must hold the rope of sacrifice. Now, as you think of sacrifice, we think of giving. And giving is not just all about finances. The first thing I need to give to God is my heart, is myself. If you're not saved today, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you are saved today, like that song says, I surrender. Now you've got to decide how you want to answer that. Is it some, partially, or is it all? Is it I surrender all? We sing it, but do we truly live that? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, we need to prove the sincerity of our love. Christ did his when he died on the cross. Am I willing to sacrifice my life for him? Am I willing to live my life for Christ? We say, yes, I am. Will you be here tonight? Will you be here on Wednesday night? We're having a conference. What about tomorrow night and the next night? Well, I have to go to work. But you know, when they're showing your favorite rear one, you stay up till one in the morning. You know, they're showing all that marathon of all those shows. Oh, yeah. I used to stay up to one, two, three. I mean, you, you go on a fishing trip. Oh, I'm up at 3 a.m. I don't go on fishing trips, right? <laughs> Not those type, amen. I mean, I mean, we do all sorts of crazy stuff, don't we? Stay up all hours of the night, get up crazy hours in the morning. And why? Because of things that we love and that we enjoy. And, and you know, we ought to love and enjoy serving God. Amen. We ought to be willing to live our life for Him. Amen. And this is something that we need to think about. Many times it's not that we don't love God, we just don't think about it sometimes and what the Lord will have or us do. Well, God's not calling me as a preacher. Not no, but God has called you to serve Him as a soul winner. And maybe there might be something else here in your church. Um, you know, you can... Ask your pastor. Pastor, is there something I can be doing? Is there some way I can help? He might tell you, well, we need some people going out soul winning. There's some visitors here. I met a visitor named Joe this morning. We need to go visit him. We need to visit this person. We need to do that. There's, there's some things that need to be done. There's always some work that needs to be done. Amen. And so when you think about this, you think about giving of ourselves, our time, and our abilities. Also, what about giving of our security? Now, think about this. I think about our, self, our safety, our health, our finances. You know, sometimes when it's a rainy day, people look outside and think, well, you know, can't come to church. I mean, I could get sick. And, you know, I could get the flu. And nowadays, you know, you got to be careful. You know, you get, you get a little sneeze, you get a little cough, you can't go to work, you know. And so I, I can't go to work. I can't go to church. I can't. No. Be it if it's raining tomorrow, I'll be at work. There's something I've worked with our people there in Uganda. Because, you know, it rains, and they don't, they don't go outside. 
Hey, it's raining. They stay home. And so, um, you know, you're missing half the people in church sometimes. So um, when this started happening, I, I'd be talking and preaching to them. And I'd say, now let me ask you something. If it's raining uh, tomorrow on Monday, are you going to go to work? Well, yeah, we have to go to work. And are you going to keep time? Well, if we always show up to work because the rain, we get fired. And ask him, so you love, God, you love work and money more than you love God. Because you go in the rain to go to work, but you won't go in the rain to go to church. And you know that's how Christians are in America too. But you know what's going on now? Now our people show up. <laughs> they got to thinking about that, and they're like, we love God more, you know. And they just hadn't thought about it. They hadn't thought about it that way. About giving God first place in our life. Hey, listen, I'm willing to risk whatever I need to for God. But there are some people that are like, well, but if I surrender my life to God, I mean, what if God calls me to go to Africa? I mean, I could die there. <laughs> well, this might come as a surprise to you, but you can die in America too. And if the Lord doesn't come back, if he delays his coming, you will die one day, no matter where you are. The question is, will you be in the will of God or out of the will of God? Hmm? We need to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I am yours, whatever you want. Everything I have, everything I am, my wife, my children, myself. I'm yours. Have you done it with our life? Our second oldest daughter died on the mission field. She was 10 months old. People thought, well, what are you going to do now? Where are you going to go? What's, what's going to happen? Well, we're going back to Uganda. That's where God called us to go. But you still have children. They could die too. Our, di our daughter died from encephalitis. That's the swelling of the brain and things. The week we got back to Oklahoma for the burial, in the newspaper, there's an article, a young boy died in Oklahoma from encephalitis. You can die here in the States just like you can die anywhere. My dad is in the military. For the first 18 years of my life, I grew up on and around military bases. People in the military had loved ones who died while they were in service in other countries, while they are doing other things, and yet they were so faithful to their country. Should I, should I be any less faithful to my Lord? No. I should love him above all, above everything. But you know, then this last part, when it comes to about the sacrifices also of our finances. Look in Philippians chapter 4. We'll close these verses here in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. So God wants us to give ourselves to him. God wants us to live our life for him. And yes, God does want us to give um, our finances as well to help in the work. We ought to be giving our tithe through our local church. And that's what we do. That's what we teach our people in Uganda. There's so many charities, so many different things around that might be good in helping people. But there's one place spreading the gospel. Amen. That's your church. There's one place telling people that, how they can have a home in heaven. That's your church. And so as you help people through your church, they're also getting the message of salvation. And so we ought to give our tithes and offerings to our church. We ought to give to missions through our church. Look here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Yeah. Now the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, I'm not trying to live the easy life here. I'm not here on vacation. He is in prison as he's writing this. He is going to be put to death later. He's not doing this just to get some money or just to get a gift. That's why missionaries aren't going to foreign countries just for fun or for a vacation. I'll tell you this, we might have problems, and I might be a little biased, but this is still the greatest country on the face of this earth. Here in the United States, God has blessed our country. And if you want money, this is where you come. If you want a better life, this is where you come. Huh? 
And that's what most of the world sees as well. God has been good to us. We're not doing this to get some gift from you to say, hey, listen, give me some money. No. But what is this verse saying? I desire fruit that may abound to your account. What does that mean? You saw the video this morning. You saw those people on there about getting saved and so many people have gotten saved there in Uganda. And that is fruit that abounds to your account because as you invest financially into missions, as you help missionaries to go to other countries, and as they see people getting saved, that is fruit that's added to your account. That's treasure laid up in heaven. That's you going to all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And that's what God has commanded us to do. And we teach that in Uganda. Our people there in Uganda, they, they follow God's word. They give to missions. They're helping people in Uganda, in Rwanda, in South Sudan, so that they can hear the gospel. And yet sometimes things are difficult. Verse 18, it says, I have on abound. I am full, having received of Epiditus the things which are sent from you in order of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. Do you know it's okay to sacrifice for God? It is. I mean, did he sacrifice anything for us? His life? And if someone is willing to lay down their life for me, physically, literally, I'm not going to complain about giving financially to help in that. I'm thankful for the sacrifice God made for me. I'm thankful for the privilege of working together with God and with you. And as we sacrifice, it says it's acceptable, well-pleasing to God. This is why he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says he's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over even just one person being saved. So this is a sacrifice acceptable, but no, we're living in kind of different times right now, aren't we? And the market's changing, things are going on, people are losing jobs, businesses are shutting down. I mean, who knows what's going to happen this year? I mean, not, any of you might say, well, we don't know what's going to happen this year. Like some, some preacher is saying when I have coronavirus, you know, no, 24 or whatever. I don't know what he said. <laughs> He's saying there's something new. Who knows what's going to happen? And here we're going to make a faith promise commitment. We're going to make a promise to God. I mean, what am I going to do? Well, that's why it's called faith promise. That word faith is there. And, you know, what are we going to do? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that's with us first giving to him and then trusting him to provide. Amen. When my wife and I only got married, she said one semester of Bible college left. We're in Oklahoma City and um, I was working two jobs and also making phone calls for a deputation to go on meetings and things. And um, we're, we're just trying to survive and our bills were more than our, our, than our, than our, than our income. And, um, but, you know, we started our school bill, different things like that and uh, and Bible college, you have payment plans. I don't know what other places to do, but we got the longest payment plan we could find, you know, to make payments and stuff. And so then um, we'd, we'd go ahead and we'd pay, the first thing we'd do is pay our tithe. Then we'd give our offerings, our emissions. We'd pay our school bill. We'd pay our rent and electric, whatever else we had. And then I'd many times pray and say, now, Lord, you told us to be honest with you, and to be honest with man, we've done that. And I'd say, now, God, you've promised to take care of our needs. And it's amazing during that time to see what God did. We never went to anybody for anything. We just went to the Lord. And God continued to provide. We never missed a meal. We never missed anything. Amen. We got down to the time of getting ready for some meetings. And back then, our rent was about $300 a month. That's 25 years ago. It's like 800 a 1,000. I don't know what it is there. 
but our rent was like $300 a month. My phone bill from calling church was about 10 cents a minute, and our phone bill was normally about $300 or $400 a month. There's more than our rent. Bethany had AT&T, and I think it was called MCI, another phone company. We was another phone company, and making phone calls and things. And we're getting ready to go out on our first meeting, kind of part-time here, before we went full-time. And uh, my wife was saying, I've, I have to have a dress. I have to have some things. There's some things we have to do. And there's no money. Okay, Lord, what are you going to do? They get a phone call. It's AT&T. They called us, and they said, hey, we noticed you're using this other phone company, and we'd like you to switch over to AT&T. And I'm like, well... The other phone company seems fine, and you charge the same money they charge. So I said, why should I switch? They said, well, we'll send you a check for $100. I said, what do I have to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, praise the Lord. God just gave us $100. And so, I mean, sure enough, we got that check, and everything was good. And just like a day or two later, my other phone company calls me back. And I said, hey, we noticed you switched companies. What's going on? Is everything okay? And I said, well, you know, I just switched over. And, you know, they said, we'd like you to switch back. I said, well, AT&T is doing a good job. I think they're doing fine. They said, well, what if you send you a check for $100? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I said, I'll switch back. All right. I made a mistake. I'm coming back. You know? I get the check. We're praising God. AT&T calls back. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, they call back. And they said, well, we'll give you a check for 100 I said, hold on a minute. I said, is this even legal? Is this, I don't want to do anything unethical or get in some kind of trouble. And a guy from AT&T told me this. He said, sir, if we're the ones calling you, if we call you, you can switch every day of the week if you wanted to. If we're the ones. I said, praise the Lord, send the money. <laughs> we got $400 out of that deal. <laughs> but who gave us that money? God. I tell you, if God can get money out of a phone company, <laughs> they say a phone company should write contracts for marriages. You can never get divorced. They're binding. But I mean, if God can do that, God can do anything, can he? <laughs> it's amazing. And sometimes we can't do it. And you know, sometimes that's the place God wants us to be to where we have to look at him. He said, Lord, you promised. Lord, we've done our part, and now we're looking to you. Then Uganda, they like the Lord's Prayer. And I was preaching on it one day, and it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Then Uganda, many people live by that prayer. It's their daily bread. If they don't work today, they may not have something tomorrow. It takes them more faith, I think, in giving sometimes, yet I see them tithing. And I see them getting to missions. Sometimes they have to walk home because the money they gave was their money for transport. And there's many that live by faith. If they can do that there, and if God can provide for us here, surely we can also take that step of faith as well. Amen. We can trust God this week as we're praying, saying, Lord, what would you have us do? Because this week is kind of like a business meeting. We're deciding the fate of the world. We're deciding about who's going to hear the gospel and be able to get saved, or who may not hear the gospel might die and go to hell because they never heard the message of salvation. We need more missionaries in Uganda. They need missionaries in Germany. We need more missionaries around this world. And so we need to be praying this week and by faith responding to what God puts upon our heart in this cause of missions. But it's not just around the world and other places, it's right here at home. There might be somebody here this morning that's not saved and today you need to trust Christ as your Savior. There might be somebody here this morning that you're saved, but maybe God's been touching your heart and you've been kind of putting it off, but 
Maybe God's talking to you about maybe being a pastor or about being a missionary or maybe about serving in some way in your church or maybe just you don't know what to do but you want to do something. You need to talk to your pastor and say, Pastor, is there something I can do? They have a Bible institute. There's things you can do here to learn and to grow in Christ. There's discipleship. So many things you can get involved in. But are you willing to say, here am I? Are you willing to accept that verse where the Bible says we are laborers together with God and today take that step and begin serving our Lord. Let us pray. Dear Father, we love you. We thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. Lord, help us not to just hear your word, but to apply this truth to our life. I pray that there's someone here this morning that's not saved, dear Lord, that today they'll trust you as their Savior. Dear Father, I pray that for each one of us who are saved, that will answer that call to be that faithful witness, that will answer that call to serve you in however you might be calling us today, dear Lord, that you'll help us be faithful also in that service to you. We thank you, loving, and ask for blessing all this time. In Jesus' name, Pastor.